anybody been to the zoo in the last, I don't know, few years? Fresno Zoo? Good, okay. How many have done the dinosaurs? Okay, less. It's like 12 bucks a pop every time you want to go, so I get it. It makes sense just to do like the $32 and it's paid for in three times. You got the season pass. So anyways, uh, we love doing the dinosaurs with Emery and Josie, our little girls. Emery will be three here in June. Josie just turned two in April. And I can remember we, we did the dinosaurs probably about a year ago when we first started doing the zoo, and they were terrified. Like, even as you walk up to it, you're coming down the zoo, and you see, like, the dinosaur head coming over the side of the fence, and, like, they've seen them on the TV, and they don't, like, they're kind of hesitant, and then you try to walk in, and one of them, like, growls or makes a noise because they kind of seem real, and they just start bursting out in tears. Like, they are terrified, meaning that we can't continue. Like, it would have just been the worst parenting ever if we just, like, forced them to keep going through each dinosaur and keep crying. And then we wait a little bit, and then probably about six months later, we go again, and they come in, and there's kind of that, like, a little bit of trepidation, a little, maybe just unsure, not really knowing what to do. But they kind of embrace it, and they keep walking to each dinosaur and seeing one a little bit different. They're interested a little bit more, and they're, like, they're totally open to it. And we go back again, and they kind of, like, jog in this next time, and they're excited to go, and they want to point to the dinosaurs. And that happens a number of times, and then, no joke, I brought them last week. And we get in the thing, and, you know, usually, like, we're all excited. I'm like, hey, girls, let's get out. Let's go see the dinosaurs. And, and I pull them out with a little double stroller because they're so close in age and they're tiny. And anyways, that's all the grass. So I get them out, and they kind of get excited. And then Josie turns around and is like, wants to get back up in the stroller. And she starts, like, eating her snack. And then very quickly, Emery gets into the stroller. And I'm like, I guess I'll just push you all through the dinosaurs. Like, this is fun. Like, very quickly, they just became passive to the experience. And were just, like, eating their pirate's booty or whatever they had. And I wonder how that depicts our life with God. Like, how many in this room have or maybe still are, like, fearing God in a way, of, of wanting to kind of hold him, like, not sure that there's some reality where I just don't know, like, it, he feels scary like, if I let him too close to me, it's not going to go well. Or maybe we're on the opposite side, that we're just kind of sitting in the stroller eating pirate's booty and just kind of going through the exhibit passively. And it seemed like, as I watched the girls, there was a balance. There was this medium where, like, they, they could engage and laugh and point and and learn about, and experience, with still like an awe and wonder of these things, every time still looking up at how tall they are, every time saying baby cuties when they see the little baby dinosaurs in the nest, like every time still being a little bit amazed, but feeling safe and close and connected to. As we start this series in Proverbs, as we think about where we are in life with God, wherever that you may fall in that today, Really what we want to look at over the next nine weeks, we're calling this Proverbs, Wisdom for a Wired World. And I don't know about you, but I'm wired. I, I, I am connected to a point where whatever I want, whenever I want, however much of it I want, within the limitations of what's in my bank account, or I guess credit limit, I can have it instantly. And there can be good things in that. I can connect with friends and people immediately and do fun things and all that. You know, I could also connect with my therapist online at just the click of a button. 
You know, I can connect with friends and even like follow like the lives of celebrities and try and feel connected to very easily. I can order food to where it just gets dropped off on my porch instantly. I can read about all the things going on in the world and choose different filters or the filters that are handed to me to to learn about what's going on. Yet in all of the control that I have and the connection I have to other things, oftentimes I still feel empty. No matter what I can have, no matter how fast I can get it, no matter how much of it I get, I'm still left wondering, isn't there more? And the book of Proverbs says that there is. And what's countercultural is to think in an age that says progress and technological breakthrough and new scientific discoveries, as more of that happens, more will work itself out. And life will get better and better and better. And we'll get closer to healing and reconciliation and everything being set right. So it can be countercultural to think that thousands of years ago there was wisdom written that has actually standed the test of time. That actually still serves us today, though some of it may feel far off. And as that video said, we want to start to set the series in Proverbs 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Have, Have you thought about that recently? Like, where's your starting point for knowledge? So when you want to find something new, when you want to learn about something, when you maybe want to choose the right way of how to go about something, when when you want to know maybe the proper way to navigate either uncertain terrain or maybe challenging terrain, like where's your starting point for knowledge? Because we all have it. I mean, if you drove somewhere in the past week for the first time, you probably went to Google Maps like instantly. We would not leave our houses very often if we did not have Google Maps today. But like that's right away. Like I need to go somewhere, boom, Google Maps. That's the first thing I go to. But what if it's not just directions? What if it's trying to navigate marriage or parenting? What if, what if it's actually trying to navigate how I show up in my workplace and, and actually live out a vocation of integrity but still finding meaning and purpose? What if it's dealing with just relational breakdown and trauma around me or even in me? What what if it's the larger things at life? Like, what's our starting point for knowledge? Oprah, Dr. Phil, like, that could be a place. Maybe maybe my psychologist and the therapist that I see, just once I can get that next breakthrough, that'll be the knowledge that I need. It could be, like, the trusted person in your life that you go to, maybe sometimes too much, And maybe they don't fully know everything that you need. Maybe it's popular culture, and it's just what you take in on social media, and you compare to other people, and, oh, if I just had it the way they had it, then, yeah, that would fill the things inside of me. Right? We have endless, endless options. Maybe it's your family. Like the ways in which, well, just because my family's always done it this way, does that mean it's what's best for you? There are so many ways in which we can try to navigate life that we can try and find knowledge. But what's interesting is a second ago we read, it actually says the beginning of knowledge starts with fear of the Lord. 
Like, I don't know about you, but I don't just wake up thinking, all right, how do I fear the Lord today? Like, this is the starting point. Do I, do I fear God? I don't want to fear God. I'm not supposed to have fear, right? Like, I'm told not to have fear, though everything is about controlling me through fear at the same time. I don't think there's ever been a political candidate that's one that hasn't caused fear. But if you think through that, like, fear is not the, the way in which we tend to just wake up. And this could also be a generational thing, even a cultural thing. But I know for us, if I was to speak towards maybe most of the room here, God is good, God is loving, God is caring, God is near, God is accepting, God is all inclusive. Like, you just keep going. God is everything that is nice and kind and tender. And I'm not saying he's not, because I believe that he is. He is all those things. But what tends to happen is we can just kind of have this positive view of God that he's kind of my, my spiritual guru, and he's the one that agrees with me when I ask him and I pray about things. I'm like, okay, God, you, you agree with me here, right? And like, this is the way I want to go in life. Can you just bless this? Like, we're, we're, we're homies, right? Like, you, you get me. You know what I'm trying to do. And he's just kind of always there, and he's always kind of cheerleading us, and I believe in you. You got this. Whatever you want to do, you know, as long as you put your mind to it, you can do it. That's, I don't know if that's in Proverbs. Anyways, but like all those little things, right? He's just, he's just there. He's for us constantly. But it seems that the ancients encourage us to consider it a little bit differently. And so I want to pull up in a second. Here's just a few other verses, and then I'm going to pull up a slide here to have us actually talk around a little bit. But there's a few more here. That's just, again, it's, I just want to like, let us hear that it's actually proposing something much different. 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. See, it actually says that the fear of the Lord is going to produce something good. But not having fear of the Lord leads to destruction. What is that? So I'm just, if I'm scared of God, that's going to end up being better for me? Like if he's just this wrathful being that just, I don't want to, you know, we have the shame and guilt, like I'm scared to make a move, I'm walking a tightrope. Like maybe I'll just do better that way and there's this moralistic way I have to live in order to be accepted. Like how, you know, all that stuff. Like do I have to be scared of God? And maybe it looks a little bit something like this. We could have afraid of God on one side. We could have too familiar with God on the other. And maybe it's fear of God sitting in the center. Maybe. So I'd be curious. Y'all are smart and probably have way better ideas than I do. But like if we just pause for a second, I would love a few people to share out loud very succinctly. You don't have to talk for too long. You don't need to teach us anything. But just from your thoughts and your experience, I'd be curious... What does life kind of look like, and what are the effects, and how do things kind of play out if we're afraid of God? Like, if that's our only view of God, if that's the extreme in which we reside, what are the effects of that? How does that actually start to show up in my life? Any thoughts? Yeah, go ahead. Hmm. Yeah, like I just distance myself. I don't even, I don't trust. There's no safe space to do that. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. 
man, if I do everything right, then somehow God will like me or accept me. And man, when other people are doing it wrong too, oh, that's good. The way we kind of see God could also tend to the way we operate with other people. It's a good connection, Holly. What else? We wanted to more. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we almost play God in a way. Interesting. Maybe one more? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. We're just living from this place of shame. Never enough. So, that's depressing. Let's go this way. <laughs> let's, let's try this one on. We're too familiar with God. He, he's the homeboy. He's my best friend. What's that look like? Yeah. Some apathy in there. I don't, I don't, he's good with me. I don't need to do anything. What else? Cheap grace. Cheap grace. Meaning, give me one more sentence to that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God's got grace. I can, I think Paul says something about that. Yeah. Good. What else? I think I heard one more. Self-righteousness. Uh, yeah. Right? I've got it all figured out. Maybe one more? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, why need to? He's my homie. Homies don't challenge each other. Right? Best friends aren't supposed to, like, tell you to become better. They're supposed to agree with you. Right? So that's still kind of depressing, huh? That didn't get better. I was wondering if it was. Like, oh, this is cool. But it didn't. Like, that's still depressing. But so then, what does this look like? And, like, what, what do we do? The fear thing... What do we do with that? See, I think one thing that, even just between those, all of those, that's just brilliant to be able to highlight some of those things. But what do they look like when, when those are married? If that's held in tension, that feels less depressing. That actually feels like transformation. If you're to hold both those in place. Right? A God who, who actually, because I can be familiar with him, doesn't just hate me. I don't have to just be filled with shame. He actually loves me and is pursuing me. But I'm also not so familiar with him where he's what I want him to be. He's actually saying, Ryan, this is what I have for you. I actually want you to change. I want you to become more. And, and you got you to do some stuff. I'm not going to do it all for you. Like that, that actually is like, okay. That, something can happen there. Like a, a world can change through something like that. Uh, a second century just church father had put it this way. Fear, therefore, is of two kinds. If you desire to do evil, fear the Lord and you shall not do it. If again you desire to do good, fear the Lord and you shall do it. You see that? The things that I do, that I don't want to do, that I seem to keep doing, man, if I have some fear of God... Like, I have a better chance of not doing those things. But man, I know I need just as much help on the other side. 
the change and the good and the beauty that I want to see happen in the world, that I, that I want in my own life, I know I can't do on my own because I'm a wreck. Like I have, I have just challenge and pain and insecurities and frustrations and you catch me on the right day, like I'm not going to change anything. Do we hold that intention and say fear in God will actually elevate us? It elevates who God is. It then elevates who me is. And it elevates other people in my life. And the reality is this concept of fear, though when we relate it to God, might be different or uncomfortable. And some of us might feel that. Others are like, I don't even know how to do that. That's weird. God loves me. But like we fear other things in our life, right? Like, like right now, you woke up this morning and like what, what was on your mind? Was it work this next week? Was it a certain relationship? Was it money? Was it your kids? Like, your health? I mean, you go through it, and I'm sure at some point you have this thing of, I don't want to lose this, I don't want this to change, I want this to go this way. And then what starts to happen when we fear something? It starts to change who we are and how we behave. Because what you, ha- what you have fear of, you will adhere to. If I have fear of losing money, I will adhere to that by doing everything possible to get more money. If I have fear of my wife doing something I don't want her to, I will live as an insecure, jealous wreck. If I have fear of the things that might happen to my children, I will be an overprotective, domineering parent. If I have fear of being alone and not ever meeting the one, I may find myself in relationships that God does not have for me or maybe even staying in one too long. Whatever we fear, like we will actually adhere to it. The fears that we have change the ways that we live. It changes who we are. And it changes who we're becoming. And so what's that for you this morning? What do you fear the most right now? Maybe what's the thing that's keeping you up at night? What's the thing that's actually pushing you to some kind of moral or integrous compromise? Because you'll go at great lengths to make sure that does not happen. What is it? It's causing you fear this morning. So another way this word fear is translated is as awe or reverence. And I'm going to come back to fear for good reason. But awe or reverence. I was with my cohort graduating seminary uh, a month ago, and one of the gals from Canada that was with us, never been to Yosemite as some others hadn't, and I was in the van that she was in, and she could not believe Yosemite. Like, I mean, the phone was like, I, you, can't, you can't send that video because it's too long because you recorded for like forever. I don't know, like you're, you're going to max your phone storage out instantly. But like she could not have enough of taking in what Yosemite was. And just the, the creation, the magnificence of it, the beauty, all of it was just mesmerizing. It was just blowing her mind. 
She was in awe. And it, 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 it changes you. When you're in awe of something that's so beautiful and good and magnificent, this peace, it's the beauty. Like you, you just can't even think of anything else. It just dissipates all your other realities of life because it is so bigger than anything else going on in your life. Do you have awe for God? Are you amazed by who he is and what he's done and what he continues to do? And then reverence, to revere something. And you revere a lot of things. Let's take, for example, gravity. Like, if you got up on this roof and was, like, going to put one foot over the edge, like, you would very quickly change your mind because you have reverence for gravity. You understand the realities of gravity and what it could do to you in your life. And you have an appreciation for it. So much so that you will actually change your behavior based on the reverence for that thing. Maybe there's even that person in your life. Like, I can even remember back to elementary school. Like, there's still, like, one or two teachers in my mind for some reason I had reverence for. In, like, a good way. Where I'm like, there's just something about them with it. They're in the room. Like, I actually want to do what they're asking me to do. Because I actually believe, like, they're good. And it's good. And it'll be good for me. And enough, again, where there's this respect that I will change the way I behave based on who they are. And what they're asking me to do, awe and reverence. So I want to do this. It's a decently long reading. So rather than putting the words up, I'm going to have an image up. I think will help capture the essence of this. It's a Rembrandt painting that we've used before, and you might be familiar with it. But it's embracing what we would know as the story of the prodigal son, um, or the prodigal sons, or even in some ways a prodigal father. And what I want to do is I want to read this. This is from uh, Charles Hayden Spurgeon, who some deem as maybe one of the greatest preachers. Uh, was a 19th century preacher. And I think he captured some of this pretty well. And I'm just going to say a few things after that, and then we're going to move into ministry time. So with this painting in mind, feel free to look at it. Feel free to close your eyes. But I'm going to read slowly just to kind of try this on. And we'll see if we can make a little bit sense of all this. Speaking in regard to the fear of the Lord. It is a fear that has not anything like been a, being afraid mixed it with it. I'm going to say that over because I think I messed it up. It is a fear that has not anything like being afraid mixed with it. It is quite another kind of fear. It is what we commonly call filial feel, fear of God, like the child's fear of his father. Just think for a minute. What is a child's fear of his father? I do not mean a naughty child, a, that is, a child that is obstinate, but a young man who loves his father, who is his father's friend, his father's most familiar acquaintance. Well, first, he has an awe of him, which arises out of admiration of his character. If this father be what he should be, he is not to that son a real model. The youth looks upon what his father does is exactly what he would like to do and what he aims to copy. His judgment is to his son almost infallible. At any rate, if he sees reason to defer from his father, he is a long while before he, it is a long while before he brings himself to prefer his own judgment. He has seen his father's wisdom in other matters so often 
that he mistrusts his own apprehension and would rather trust to what his father tells him. He has a profound conviction that his father is good, is kind, is wise, and could not do anything or ask him to do anything would, would not, which would not promote his own good. So he feels a sort of awe of him, a fear of him, which prevents his questioning what his father does as he would have questioned anybody else. He is prone to conjecture that his father may have got some reason behind that he would explain what he does not understand. He would not give another person credit for having that conceded, concealed virtue, but he has such an esteem for his father. His dear father that he fears to raise any questions about his father's character, his conduct, or his conclusions. In fact, that character so rules his admiration and commands his respect that he does not think of questioning it. Well, now, dear friends, how far higher must our fear of God in this view of the matter? How could we question him? Nay, whatever he does, we say, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. None of those words made sense. And it felt like rambling. God is worth being an awe for. He is worth revering. He is worth having fear for to say that I know not best for my own life. Whatever God has for me, may it be so. And may I do it. May I be open to being wrong and challenged and corrected. May I do the things that I don't want to do. Because I believe he is good, but I also believe he knows what destruction looks like. And I believe because he knows destruction, he knows what a right life looks like. Do you fear God? Do you have a healthy fear of God? So many ways I don't, and it stood out more than ever this week. But here's a few things that as I read through the scriptures and I look at the overarching narrative and we work through Proverbs and I look at who Jesus is, these are all in scripture, but we'll just call them my thoughts. The first one, healthy fear of God fosters faith in God. And we actually see each of these in John 15, 16, and 17, by the way. We see them in plenty of other places. But Jesus, talking to his disciples before he's about to leave, it's this beautiful, just symmetrical aspect of Jesus talking about who God is and how he sees things playing out. And when I have a healthy fear of God that fosters faith in God, what it does is it actually takes me out of position of being God. And it puts God in his right position of being God in my life. And then I just say, I have faith, God, in who you are, and I have faith, God, in the things that you want me to do. I have faith in over the fears that I have now because I'm to fear you over all other things, which is an invitation to say, God, work in the fears that I have. Be greater than the things that I fear now. I have faith in that. And then faith starts to determine the way that I walk and where I go and how I go about it. Second, a healthy fear of God fosters formation by God. There's that, that moment in John 15 where, where Jesus is talking to them and he says, if I remain in you and you remain in me, 
You'll do many things, but without me, you will do nothing. What Jesus is saying is, is me and you will actually form you. It will change who you are from the inside out. It will transform your life in a way that you can't do on your own, that you can't do through all the wired ways that you live your life. But to be with me, to allow me to be in you and work through you, to abide. It's called transformation through indirection, to open ourselves up and say, God, by your spirit, will you transform me from the inside in ways that I can't do on my own? I cannot muster up enough strength to actually be who you want me to be. And third, a healthy fear of God fosters fruit for others. Before Jesus goes, his greatest prayer in this moment is he talks to God and he says, hey God, I, I, want, I want you to be glorified in all of this and the way that actually plays out is for these people to be one with me and then to be unified with each other. And that's how people will know that, God, you are active in their life, that you are to be glorified, that you are their, their heavenly Father, their creator, to be in unity with. It's a verb, it's an action word, to love, to forgive, to sacrifice for, to extend mercy, to reconcile, to sometimes let others walk over you, to have the hard conversations, because when you fear God, you have less to fear than yourself. God, yourself, others. You see that, the flow that God wants to work through us. A healthy fear of God. And so maybe a couple ways as we move into ministry time here. There's this moment in the book of Acts. This is the early church. And it says in Acts 9.31, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. This is in a time of massive oppression and persecution of the church and still a, a Roman Empire that dominated everything. And they enjoyed a time of peace and they were strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. The fear of the Lord is not something that's just written down in Old Testament accounts that are far off. It's actually the empowerment of the church. It's what's, it's what's calling people to God so that he can actually fill them with his spirit. To be empowered, to be a part of this thing, as Daniel says, the greatest movement that was ever created to, to, to mankind. That actually changes the world when it's lived out because we become people of goodness and beauty and wholeness and integrity and we start to see others and want to care for others and we move towards others because we fear God. And he knows what's best for us. So two ways. One, God is creator. I don't know how many times you think about that. Do we see God as creator, the one who commissioned all things, who breathed life into everything, that created you uniquely for a unique purpose, and because he did that, he actually knows why he designed you the way that you are, because he has something for you. Do we see him as creator to have the awe and the reverence to say, God, I cannot even imagine how you've created. I, I cannot see all the ways, but may I understand you more as creator so that I can more understand who I am. And I can more understand others. So get in touch with creation. Get in touch with people. Get in touch with Yosemite. Get, get in touch with the buildings and the awes of the beauties of the world, the creation. God is in all things. To think about non-religious things, to think about 
spiritual thing. Like, there's no divide. God is in and before and has created all things. God is creator. And then God is also crucified. We see God crucified in Jesus. He is a self-sacrificing God who has entered into our lives. Do we take that on enough? As we take communion after this in ministry time, we get reminded that God has sacrificed himself through his son, through Jesus, to actually invite us into a restored relationship. Do we take communion? Do we sing songs? Do we gather together to be remembered, to remember that he is a self-sacrificing God? What are the ways in which we can engage him in these two ways more? So fear him. He has so much purpose for you and I. And the knowledge of all things, the ways to go through life, the ways to find health and truth and justice and rightness starts by fearing God. So may we fear him more. May we fear him more.